Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome into episode 131 of the Natural Hattrick Podcast alongside Craig Morgan. The Natty Hattie. <laughs> we have Kevin Paul DuPont from the Boston Globe today. I haven't even introduced Jamie yet. Well, yeah. We also have Jamie. Jamie never the, says anything anyway. From the Fan Rag Sports today. Oh, but Jamie's Hi, feeling... Jamie. What's your last name? He's feeling down today. Yeah, I'm, feeling, I'm not feeling so great. All right, so... It's not just because you're here. Sick or depressed because Luke is sitting next to you? I mean, a little bit of both, but I, I did wake up feeling bad and then, you know... Luke walked in, and really the pit in my stomach grew. Now I don't feel good. Uh, I'm Luke Lipinski. I guess we've already answered the question of if Jamie's under the weather, does that make him nicer or meaner? So, Jamie, just, just shut up, Luke. Live with that. Oh, so nicer, actually. <laughs> he left out other words. Uh, we've got a lot to talk about today. We're going to start with the World Junior Championships just because they're done. We'll just put a quick bow on that. Canada wins. Uh, <laughs> Sweden gets silver, unless you're in like the fifth row of the stands, then maybe you got silver as well. So let's start there. Uh, Leas Anderson, who was the captain of Team Sweden, New York Rangers prospect, they picked him with the pick that the Coyotes traded them for Derek Stepan and Antti Ranta, um, just takes a silver medal and chucks it right into the crowd. Thoughts? Well, clearly he wasn't happy with the result. <laughs> Maybe that's how he celebrates. That's my initial reaction. Oh, okay. <laughs> he, 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 he explained away? that he, he, he had the same thing happen, obviously, at another international tournament. So he didn't like losing, so he just decided that the guy in the stands might want it more than he wanted it. Did he ever get jerseys. it back? Yeah, the, the, actually, the guy in the stands, I think, gave it to one of the, uh, the team reps. Okay. Are you asking me for how I feel about this? Well, because yes. I, I know a lot of people... You have to have a hot take on it, because everybody on Twitter did. Well, you actually you don't even have to have a hot take, just any take, because so many people were up in arms about it. Yeah, and, I mean, and I'm not up in arms about it. If the silver medal, like, had hit some child in the head, then oh, I'd be more up goodness. in arms about goodness, it. But yes. if he doesn't... I don't know, that's a story to tell. Whatever, that's his silver medal. Like He, he if can he wants do with it what he wants. Yeah. I, I think there's probably a better way to dispose of the silver medal than probably. he didn't want. Probably than doing it so publicly and saying this means nothing to me after you were just awarded that. And winning a silver medal still does mean something. You medaled at the World Junior yeah. Championships. So. Unfortunately, it's for these types of tournaments, it's always it's the loser's medal. It's the only medal you win in the tournament by losing yeah. a game. It's weird. It's so, so weird. Should, if he got the bronze, he's not chucking it yeah. in the crowd. I mean, so should he have done it? Probably not. Am Did, I going to actually get angry at him for doing it? No, that's ridiculous. Did you ask him if he would have chucked his bronze medal in to the crowd? Maybe he would have. That would have been really awkward. Go out there. Like, what if he scores the winning goal in overtime the of the bronze medal like, game? The ice. <laughs> it felt like something from, like, Slapshot or some sort of movie. But, look, if he chucks the gold medal into the crowd, he's a hero, right? It's just because he chucked the medal there out of disgust. I, whatever. I, yeah, I think a lot of like people saying, fun- are saying he's disrespecting the game, uh, I guess, maybe, on some level. the sanctity of the World Junior Championships. Uh, yes. Look, I... I to me, I look at it as he probably shouldn't have done it. No, but he I'm not have. mad that he did it. 
I'm not worried about it. I also don't, I'm not going all the way the other way thinking, wow, this is guy's the ultimate competitor of all competitors, which was the complete other side of, of, the, of the coin here. Here's what I think. We, we need to have a story on FanRag Sports uh, just analyzing what this actual moment means for Leah Sanderson's NHL future. Yes. I, th- I think we can extrapolate from this one moment, don't you? We should be able to project out yeah. most of his career numbers yeah. now, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think analytics. So. By the way, who scored that game-winning goal? For Canada? Yeah. That was uh, Coyotes prospect Tyler Steenbergen. His only goal, of the, only goal of the tournament, actually. He, he got the golden goal. So when does he score 30 goals for the Coyotes, Greg? Yeah. Because uh, that is a question, not in I know. not 30 goals, I but know. the question you Tap the brakes. Tap the brakes on that one. Well, Steenbergen's got pretty good numbers in junior right now, but he does. it's the WHL, so he does. it doesn't mean that they Long don't count. Long way to go before he, any of that could even possibly translate at the NHL level. Tap the brakes. Former fifth-round pick, and by former, I mean like seven months ago. Yeah. So, yeah, he's he's developing. But still, I mean, it's it's cool to have that moment. Sure. Obviously, we know he can step up on a big stage. That's the biggest stage he could possibly be on right now. Short of being a, a, a prodigy that's a fifth-round pick that's somehow playing in the NHL right after he was drafted. So uh, good to see that. Canada does win the gold. Um, so he can get the silver. And the U.S. gets the bronze. Yeah. Go ahead and say it. That's okay. I, I mean, like, the, no, when you I, look at their history in this tournament recently. The U.S. has been really been good in this really tournament. Really good, yeah. Uh, the Winter Classic also happened since the last time we recorded. That's nice. Show. Yeah, it did. Did you watch? I watched a little, but I was confused because Chicago wasn't playing. Yeah, I, I didn't think it was the Winter Classic because the Blackhawks were on the, on the ice. Actually, I, I never tuned in. This was the first Winter Classic I skipped altogether. Did you watch, Jamie? I did not watch one well, second of it and okay. did not regret it. Actually, this happened before the ratings came out since the last time we recorded a show. Because I remember we talked about this a little bit on the show last time. The one thing I really liked about it is the camera angle is weird, as Jamie pointed out. But it does show the speed of the game. It doesn't show much of the game. Like, if the puck goes behind the boards, you can't see it. At least the camera angle they had. But uh, it does show the speed of the skating. But... Yeah, the, the, the ratings down substantially. For the fourth straight year, uh, Nielsen reported the game was seen in 1.4% of the nation's homes with 2.4 million estimated viewers. Okay, uh, so what is this? What's the problem? It's Well, it's I mean, I should, I should say it's still a bigger draw than regular season games for NBC, so they still like it, but the ratings are dropping, and we can, we can certainly analyze what it is. I think part of it is saturation. There are too many outdoor games. We have the Stadium Series. We have the Heritage Classic. And just, you know, okay, the novelty is worn off. So all of that, I think, factors. And I hate to say it, but I think the Buffalo Sabres' presence in that game may have had something to do with it as well. Yeah, I mean, there's nothing felt special about it. There's nothing special about that game anymore. I mean, that's the biggest thing. Like, it's okay, it's outdoors, it's cool, but it doesn't mean anything. I think they need to do... They need to come up with a different way to select the teams. I don't know if you just make it a rematch of last year's Stanley Cup, or if you find... That's an interesting idea, though. you got to do something. Or like we talked about last week, maybe even just make it the All-Star game, put that outside, because I'm still interested in watching outdoor hockey. Mm -hmm. But you're right. It's not just that there's been more than one game a lot of these years. It's They've been so spread out that you kind of... Some of the novelty has worn off, but I think more than anything, it's the simple fact that we're seeing the same teams every year. Like, there's there's a collection of... If you just watched outdoor hockey, if that was your exposure to the sport, every New Year's, you're like, oh, I love this, I'm going to tune in, but I'm a football fan, so I'm going to tune over to that eventually. You would think there's seven teams in the but NHL. But the Sabres aren't the same team, right? No. But they've the, been in it before. But the problem is, is you, the novelty can't just be, hey, look, there's a game outdoors. Yeah, it's got to be a good gotta game, There's got to be too. something that... It's got to be a good game, good teams, and you have to build some sort of storyline leading into it. it there's, just... there's no storylines with Buffalo, New York. There yeah. just really isn't. But they, like... they 
reside in the same state. That's it. Barely. So we're creating a rivalry that isn't there. And you should, like like Jamie just said, you need to have good teams in this. And you you can project out. You could be wrong. Some some team could take a, a nosedive or te- some team Edmonton, could climb. excuse me. Yeah. Excuse me. Right, Sorry, if you had planned for Edmonton to be in the, this. But Connor McDavid would still be a good draw. Sure. At the same time, you, you should probably t- choose teams that you think are going to be playoff teams because it's more compelling. And if you can, get a rivalry in there. And you can do that. This is one of the other points that I made last week. We need to stop seeing, that, like you just said, Luke, the same seven, eight teams in this game. Everybody needs a taste of this now. They need to move the Winter Classic around. But when they do, find rivalry games. Find a way to pit two teams that, where, where it means something and two good teams against each other. If the concern is we don't want to be tied in to, to putting every team in because we might play a, a, a bad team, you just put Buffalo out there, who's the second worst team in the NHL record-wise, and just not very exciting. There's no way... And maybe you shouldn't have a rule in place specifically for each year. Maybe you should just common sense, whatever, play it by ear. But after the success that Nashville had in the Stanley Cup last year and the exposure P.K. Subban got on NBC and ESPN, and everybody now knows who P.K. Subban is, Nashville should have been in that game. I don't care who they're even playing. Nashville should have been in that game. If you can't play it in Nashville because of weather... That's fine. Pick you, somebody up you north. You played in L.A. I played in L.A., and I went to that. I know. It's, that was fun. It's, you can do it anywhere. You can. you can do it in L.A. And, and again, you're right. You don't want to pick teams that are terrible, but, it, again, project it out. Buffalo should not have been in the game this year. Yeah, nobody thought Buffalo was going to be They good. were garbage the last two seasons, so don't put them in, the, in this game. Give it to a playoff team. But I do think you find a way to move it around. Make it incentive. Hell. I mean, yeah. it, right now, the Coyotes shouldn't be in this game. They shouldn't even be sniffing this game right now. But if they improve... Give them a taste of it. Everybody should have a taste of this. And I also like the idea of iconic venues. Yeah. Yeah, I just, you have to be careful with that because who, you can't tell me this wouldn't have been a bigger success if Nashville was hosting it with everything that happened last year. There's probably a country music concert before, during, and after the game. It's, it's like you said, but, but it's sort of But they announced it before based. Nashville went as deep as they did in yeah. the playoffs, Okay, but why, right? do you, so, why do you have to announce it a year ahead of time? Because of all the planning. I mean, there's a hell of a lot of planning that goes into this game. So Yeah. But, you, I mean, they could, be they could put Nashville in next year, right? They could have done that. Yeah. I just, I think there's there's probably a way, I don't know, is it really the end of the world if last year on June 12th you're saying, okay, Nashville's in, we're going to have Nashville play St. Louis or something. I don't know. Or maybe, maybe leave one of the spots open. Maybe you have to pick the venue ahead of time. So maybe you knew it was going to be one team, yes. whoever's hosting it, but you can still leave the other spot open. I don't know. There's... There's great storylines around the NHL. None of them were on display between the Rangers and Buffalo. That's <laughs> true. And that's a great opportunity to sell the game. I mean, if you think about it, if you're the NHL trying to market to non-hockey fans, your, your best venues to do that are the Stanley Cup and the Winter Classic right now, correct? Yeah. More yeah. so than even the All-Star game. Yeah, especially when you, you have that, that space on NBC pretty much to yourself. For those yeah. few hours. Look, the reality is the, these other outdoor games like the Stadium Series or the Heritage Classic aren't going away as long as the NHL thinks it can make money off of it. I don't so, I don't hate them. I just and, think they could improve them. But I, I'd rather see, you know, if we're going to do multiple, let's just do two outdoor games and let's make the All-Star Game an outdoor game because I think that would add a cool factor to the All-Star Game. I don't want to watch the All-Star Game. I don't no. care. I, I want to watch the Skills Challenge, yeah, watch but I don't want to watch the game. The I game like is the fan- awful. I like the fantasy draft element the first time. Now I'm just like, all right, that was cool. Yeah, while we're on, but the this. draft was the draft is the best part. It's not the yeah. game; it's the yeah, or the, the tournament. As yeah, we, we, the yeah. All Star tournament. See, I, I still don't care. I like yeah. watching the tournament. I don't care who wins. But if you're going to have four teams and you're going to play three on three, then then why don't you have the draft? 
Because Jamie's yeah. right. Watching the draft was one of the... That was the best part of them making fun inside jokes and fun yeah. each other mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. very much not being drunk, wink, wink, for that first one. <laughs> yeah, make it a party. And if you're, especially if you're going to have right? four yeah. captains, because it's not... I know the, the purists were like, well, I remember back when it was the, the Wales and the Campbell Conference, and that's all that matters. Well, nobody really cares about the rivalry between the Central and the Atlantic divisions. No. So just... Have a captain from each division if you want, if you want to make sure it's broken up that way and have them pick their teams. Because then, then it's just going to be like the NBA where all, the, all their buddies get together and form teams and there's at least more incentive to watch the game, I think. I still want to see the All-Star Tournament where every team gets a, a three-on-three team in it. We have a, a round robin. A 32-team round a robin. Bracket. A bracket. 31-team, yeah, I guess. A bracket, not a, not a round robin. So Craig either doesn't want to watch the All-Star game or he wants everybody involved in the All-Star Well, game. I mean, what, how many players would that require? 93? Seven. Yeah. Oh, seven per team? per team? Yeah, okay. Yeah. yeah. That's, that's That'd be pretty cool. 217 players. Yeah, that's a lot of the league. Uh, we should point out... Tobias Reader, NHL All-Star. We're still yeah, playing. Who would the seven-team Coyote... Who would be the seven Coyotes? Um, would Anthony Duclair be on that well, list? Well, I said, do you want to go to the Duclair transition? He would be on my list. <laughs> You'd have to have a goalie for each team, right? Yeah, so uh, okay. a healthy, healthy yes. Ranta. Okay. Ranta. He's played pretty well, actually. Yeah, just got to stay healthy. Uh, step on for sure. Clayton Keller. Clayton Keller, for sure. Oliver Eggman Larson, mm-hmm. who some people want to trade. Chitron. Insanity. Just because that would be fun. Chitron, yeah. Yeah, if you're going to pick seven guys off each team, you can't just do it by stats. I mean, this is where common sense has to come in again. Chitron hasn't played that many games, but you want him out there. How many? Well, yeah. So you, would you have... So then in that case, so you then you'd have four forwards. And we already said Stepan and Keller. So you'd have Chitron over Goligoski? Yes. Mm. Well, not, not, gonna, not necessarily based on like how they played this year, but just yeah, how I think they would entertain me in three on three format. Yeah, can we point out Goligoski? Is he up to seventeen assists now? Yeah, he's been very good, yeah, quietly absolutely. way up there in assists. Yeah, like I said, he's been he's been. This is the player they wanted from from mm-hmm. when they signed him. Yeah, and that's that really it's has funny. been I'll lost be doing in the shuffle story shortly. Oh, well, look at that. Are we transitioning into Coyote stuff here? Well, we did mention Anthony Duclair, so you know that one's out there. Jamie wrote a really good column over the weekend. All right, I, ch- I checked it. in the mail. You sent a check to yourself? No, I sent a check to Craig for oh. complimenting. All right. Can only imagine how much Essentially, that Essentially, uh, if you haven't read it, please read it so Craig can feed his kids. I don't know why that would matter to him now, but, like, you know. I actually get proceeds from Jamie's comments, <laughs> yeah. too. That's why that explains a lot about yeah. arrangement around here. The dynamic yeah, on the show. Oh, look, another envelope under the door. com slash Wait, envelope under the door. Is that not on the bingo card? Yeah, I was trying to say that we are playing bingo. We, yeah, we're staring at leftovers again. We have nine spots open on Natty Hattie Bingo, correct? And there are four of them would give us bingo. We still have not hit bingo yet, but we're close. Each four, there's four different ways we could get bingo. I, I guess is the better way to put it. Right, so. Well, you're great at explaining bingo. Let's move right along. So bingo uh, is, so is said, played when you have five uh, squares in a row marked off. All right, go ahead and read your story, Jamie. Uh, so the audiobook version is not available yet. Uh, but essentially, what I said was you need to do everything you can as a coaching staff and an organization to unlock Anthony Duclair's potential. When you see somebody that has goal-scoring potential, which is, again, the hardest thing to do in hockey is score a goal. When you have somebody with that kind of potential... At 22. Yeah, in his early 20s, (laughs) you need to do everything in your power to try to unlock that potential for your team. Can I ask a question while you're saying that? Why was Rick Tockett brought here? What were we told about Rick Tockett? To communicate to the young players. Ah, Can I ask a slightly off-topic question? But to be fair, they didn't say what he was communicating. He's communicating to declare that you can sit in the press box with Luke. If you were going to have somebody read the audiobook version of your story, like a hockey personality... It's an entirely different tone. Would it be Don Cherry? <laughs> no. Really? Okay. No. Evgeny Malkin? I feel like that would be pretty interesting. 
I'm just throwing out names. Anyway, back to your point. Because I'm about Devor to elaborate. Christian Dvorak. Okay. Okay. Maybe just have each of them <laughs> read a paragraph. Joke for everybody. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That's but I, to, to me, I, uh, I, I, don't, I don't understand why it feels like he has been singled out more so than any of the other players on the team that have had the same struggles in which Rick Tockett and John Chaika have said are the reasons for Duclair sitting on the bench. Again, you can't ignore the fact that multiple coaching staffs have had issues with Anthony Duclair. All of that comes into play. Absolutely. And there are times when you watch his play on the ice where he loses focus, he makes the wrong play. It's like he doesn't know what to do in certain situations. But he is 22. You did bring in a coach who was supposed to be able to communicate with these younger players. And we didn't even reach... You know, I wrote in, in my story, it was three and a half months in, and they're ready to give up on him. But it was much earlier yeah. than that that it became apparent he was out of favor. So I what that, are you doing to unlock this potential? I think that's the problem, too. It's one thing, again, if you, and I said that in the article. If you have a team full of stars, if you're on the Penguins, yeah, your patience level for a young player's development in that case is very thin. You have a lineup full of players that need to make an impact and you have Stanley Cup aspirations. But for this team, this season, especially at this point, doesn't matter in terms of wins and losses in the standings. What this season matters is for development of your young players. And he appeared to me that if Anthony Duclair was ever given a chance, it was very short because by the end of October, he was already not playing. All right. I want to, I don't want this to all be Coyotes, so we'll, we'll hold the listener questions till later on in the show. And as Craig said, we are going to talk to Kevin Paul DuPont about the, uh, the crazy run the Boston Bruins are on. But sticking with Duclair, is this, you know, to Craig's point, it seems like sometimes he's out there floating around and, and he seems a little lost. And uh, None of us are saying Duclair is a perfect player by any means. No. I think that his general instinct, and maybe this is something, it is something you have to work on at the NHL level, but as you guys both pointed out, he's still only 22. I think his instinct is whatever's going to get him up the ice quickest and ready for a scoring opportunity. So is he sacrificing on the defensive end? Yeah. And, and can that you, you can't have that and be the complete player. Like, he should be striving to improve that. I think he is. But if you just want to look at his offense, this is the stat. He's up to 1.22 goals per 60 minutes this season, okay? So you probably hear that, and you're like, well, what does that mean? It's number one on the Coyotes. Number two is Brendan Perlini. Number three is Christian Fisher. But these are some NHL players that he has a better goals per 60 minutes rating than, okay? Sidney Crosby, Connor McDavid. You guys should stop me because I've got a ton. Crosby, McDavid, Jack Eichel, Vladimir Tarasenko, TJ Oshie, Johnny Gaudreau, Mark Scheifele, Joe Pavelski, Claude Giroux, Ricard Raquel, Jonathan Taves, Ante Kopitar, and on and on and on. Never heard of any of those guys. Yeah, who are they? So I'm not saying he's a better player than them, but at a certain point, you look around in your team and you say, we need guys who can score. And he's scoring at a better rate than all those guys I just read off and so many more. And as I said in the story, you need impact players that their impact results in pucks in the back of the net. There's a lot of flashy plays you watch when you watch the Coyotes. There's a lot of plays that just result in, wow, that's crazy, that results in nothing. You need that impact talent to manifest itself in goals. And if you watch that game Saturday, Anthony Duclair had multiple grade-A scoring chances. He scored on one of them. He was a great save by Lundqvist on the second one that catches it with the, with the glove that's heading <laughs> yeah. glove top corner. Is one of, that's, that's one of the hardest saves to make as yes. a goalie. Coyotes win that game if that goes in. It didn't. I mean, you, you, don't, you don't get partial credit, but you watch that game and he made an impact. He was noticeable on the ice, and there were... A lot of players on that team, including some quote-unquote stars that were not noticeable on the ice. Now, to be fair, he doesn't play that way every night, and he needs to get to the point where he does play that way every night. But the power moves he makes with the puck, there's not a lot of guys in that game. There wasn't anybody on either team making those moves. Jimmy Vesey made a nice power move and scored. But uh, 
you know, Duclair had probably four or five of them cutting left to right with the puck or spinning around or whatever. And sometimes he gets too flashy, I guess, if you're old school and whatever. But if he's putting the puck in the net, and he's on pace right now for 23 goals per 82 games. What, so what, that's what, what you're looking for from him. What alternative resources could you devote to getting Anthony Duclair to unlock that other part of his game, to, to being more focused? Well, how, how much are, does he have to unlock? There are alternative ways of thinking yeah. about this, right? I mean, there's, I, I there's, mean, there's, there's sports psychology. Uh-huh. Let, let's explore those things. Let's not give up on a guy who might just might be a 30-goal scorer in the yeah, NHL. To, He's 22. Yeah. Do not give up on this guy yet. I he think they've already decided... He's the NHL level already. Yeah, like, I think they've already decided they are giving up on him. I think he's going to be moved by the trade deadline. To me, is crazy. I understand he has lots of flaws. I think it's a mistake. I don't think you give up on this guy yet. I think it's a mistake. Well, okay, so I have two questions for you. The first was, is this beyond repair then? I mean, he's... I think it is. I get the impression. I mean, I'll flat out say it. Rick Tockett was asked by Craig Morgan a question about Anthony Nuclear's game on Saturday night, and the only thing Tockett could muster was he had a good first period. But if you were looking to trade him, wouldn't you be talking him up even more? You would think, but again, other teams are watching. Like I, I don't know if, how much mystery is left with all the pro scouts that are that are in attendance. Right. I mean, you you know what player you're getting at that point. Everybody kind of talks. But I think one thing that got missed, and I think it was some of the nuance of the article, is I'm not saying that you stick Anthony Nuclear in the first line, he plays 18 minutes a night, and you never worry about it. All I am saying is don't don't give up on a 22-year-old player that has flashed 20-plus goal, not only potential, has actually done it at the NHL level for your team in your uniform, and just give up on him. He's in his third NHL season. Second and a half, really, because he was bad last year. Yeah, he he spent most of it in Tucson, yeah. So I guess the second question then is if you're trying to unlock that other part of his game— how how great does he have to be defensively? There are players in this league that are fantastic offensive weapons that, you know, they're okay defensively. I get that you don't want him to be a, a problem on, on his end of the ice, but he doesn't have to be a Selkie winner either to, to have value to your team. If, he, if he's going to score goals, last year he wasn't scoring, so I get it. But if he's going to score goals... He just needs to be what, like a four or a five on a scale of one to ten defensively or on the he four just check needs or whatever. To not be a massive liability. Yeah. Okay, that, that's, and that's, that's, that's but that's line. entirely dependent on the coaching staff yes. too, right? Their expectations. So, you know, from my conversations with Dave Tippett while he was here, they viewed Anthony Duclair as a goal scorer. If he wasn't going to be scoring like last year when he wasn't, yeah. okay, then he doesn't have a function on this team. But if he's putting the puck in the net, yeah, you work on those other things. But again, just to keep harping on this, he's twenty-two years old. If you get down the road and you gave up a guy who can do what he can do and he ends up being a 25-30 goal scorer, you're going to look really dumb, especially mm-hmm. with the trade value being so low for him right now. A lot of teams are viewing this guy as a bargain pickup right now. I know Chaika liked him coming into this season, so I guess maybe I'm holding out hope that they don't trade him. I, I just, I mean, if somebody I, throws be, some amazing offer at you... Yeah, well, I mean, if, if somebody throws a, a really good offer, well, he's going to be gone quickly. Well, if someone throws a really good offer, that hasn't any, happened. any player can go, I mean, for the right price. I suspect but. this is still going to be near the trade deadline because that's when teams get a little more desperate. Like like John Chico, he says there's nothing like a deadline to spur action. Mm-hmm. So we'll see what happens around then. I get the sense that the die is cast already, but... And again, he, he may not he may not pan out. He may have the same problems for the rest of his career, and they'll be proven correct, but... I just don't know how you can make that judgment at age 22. I, I would say if you're going to trade him, and now this is a problem for the Coyotes because they've played their two games against the Rangers, try and do it right around a game against the Rangers because he does 
he does seem to step up against his former team for whatever reason. And and maybe there was more play this particular time, but he played well against them the first time they met this he, year. He's frustrated too. You can see it in yeah. his face. He doesn't want to do interviews. He's he's really frustrated yeah. right now. He he can't he can't even express what's on his mind. I can tell that when I when I try to talk to him. But I, I, he's I, one of those players that plays better when they're frustrated. But if if you want, and again, uh, this is just my opinion on this matter. If you want a player to get okay, so like I'll stop a, a player like that engaged in a game. How about you give him a damn compliment when he has a good game? Yeah. How about you say something to encourage him? If, if that's your biggest fear is that he's not focused and not motivated, how about you do some motivating? Isn't that one of the key components of being a yeah, head there's, coach? There's positive reinforcement as well. The yeah. flip side is he's looked very motivated the last couple games. But he's not getting that reciprocated by Tockett. He hasn't. Yeah. That would, uh, the, the, the way that, again, go watch the interview yourself. Uh, don't have to take my interpretation for it. Watch the postgame press conference on coyotes.com wherever they have it. Watch his Tockett's facial reactions and the way he talks about Anthony Duclair for that seven seconds that he mustered an answer for him. That was not a coach that looked like he wanted anything to do with Anthony Duclair today or going forward. Well, we'll see. Like I said, we'll have more. The reason we, we hit on that is because we had so many Duclair questions last week. We did the show, and then he's scored every game since then. So <laughs> we had more. We've got a couple other Coyotes-related questions that we'll get to later on the show. And again, if you want to tweet into the show, at the Natty Hattie on Twitter, you can follow the show. We're going to put up polls. We've been doing it after most uh, shows lately. We'll put one up after today, but certainly... doesn't forget. Yeah, I'll try not to forget. I don't get a lot of help from my co-hosts with that. I still don't have the login. You can read it right alongside the Lipinski list. No, we've at least put some polls up there, so that's that's fairly inaccurate. Uh, You mentioned the All-Star game, or one of us did. The coaches have been named. Yes, they have. So who are they? Okay. Well, you, you put it yeah. in the notes, and it was the first thing you wrote, so you clearly are into the All-Star game, so let's talk about it. Okay, let's talk about it. The, the All-Star, obviously, is for the divisions, the way they do the format now. So Tampa Bay's John Cooper, Washington Capitals, Barry Trotz, Nashville Predators, Peter Laviolette, and the Vegas Golden Knights' Gerard Gallant, who will win the Jack Adams Award this year as yes. Coach of the Year. And let's just revisit the Florida Panthers' decision to cut ties with Gerard Gallant and hand him those hefty bags and... Yeah, you know, so, not to mention Jonathan Marcheseau, by the way, who signed a six-year, thirty million dollars yeah. extension with Vegas, has sixteen goals and thirty-nine points. And Those Riley, guys would and not Riley have Smith. And Riley Smith. Yes. I, I know we talk about Vegas a lot, so I'll try and minimize that on this show. But I, I do have to throw this out there: a, a friend of mine that follows really the NBA, not so much the NHL, but uh, you know, a little bit, I guess, texted me last night at like two in the morning. I don't know why to ask me why Vegas is so good this year. Like, was it was the, the league set up for them to be great? Or did they just... That's the narrative they're, they're trying to, to sell. Is it's, that the narrative the league's trying to sell? So this is the greatest expansion draft in the history of expansion drafts of all time. It's an easy sell now. It's Gallant, right? If there, if you could only pick yeah. one reason, it's Gallant. Yes. yes, more so than George McPhee. I mean, he, yes. most, of the, most of those picks, as we established already, were pretty logical picks yes. when you look at who was available. There were a couple of moves, sure. But did you know William Carlson was going to be the player he is? Marcia, so you could you could Marcia, guess. so you probably Flurry and, and Neil, you you probably knew what you were going to get. But you from haven't those got guys. that much but from Flurry. Anybody would hurts. Have, but anybody would have drafted those guys. Yes, like, exactly. and that's the thing. Like it's exactly. I, as much as, as again, as much credit as Vegas deserves to put that together, there's a little bit of revisionist history about the expansion draft itself and how good they were coming out of it. Are they going to be? I, I know they're not going to be this good, but do you think that they are a playoff contender a year from now? I I don't know. I I, I think I, it's. I, le- I still Less feel likely. like the bottom has to drop out at some point when you look at the roster. But but you still have that coach. And if Carlson, I mean, Carlson's a young player. Right. So if he's really developing into this, then you may have a centerpiece to build around it's, up it, front, it, too. It's very possible. They're not going to have the same level of emotion to build around. They're not going to have quite the same roster. They could lose Perron and Neal. 
so you're in the last year of Fleury's deal. So I, I am l- less optimistic than I should be given their point total right now that they make the playoffs next year. Oh, I think they'll make the playoffs now. I'm starting to think that they're good enough. This Especially year. in a West that's... Yeah. Uh, West is in. Yeah. I I, I'm just not impressed with yeah. the Western Conference. I, I still like Nashville, but... Nash, well, Nashville's playing without a, a very good player in Philip Forsberg right now, but they've been inconsistent again this year. Yeah. And if you remember, they, they were not a high seed going into the playoffs last year. So No, they were a disappointing team yeah, last year going there's into some, the playoffs. there's some flaws there. I, I, when I look at every team in the West now, I, I, can, I can poke holes. Uh, let's transition over to the East then. We, we haven't talked a lot about Montreal this year. I guess it's going to be sort of an Atlantic Division-centric show with, uh, with the Bruins talk at the end. But Montreal's done. Right. The reason I'm bringing this up is is GM uh, Mark Bergevin was asked, and I'm sure he's asked this after every game, if they are selling at this point, and and he still, and I think he has to say this halfway through the season, but he still Especially believes they, Montreal. Can, yeah, he still believes they can they can turn this around and, and get into the playoffs, but I don't see a way they can do that. They have 40 points; they're 12 points behind Toronto for third, and you got to get in the top three in that division to make the playoffs. So if Montreal misses the playoffs, how big of changes are we looking at, especially in that market? It's interesting because I can't say we didn't see something like this coming. We've talked ad nauseum since the start of the show. The first topic I think we talked about on the show was Montreal struggling to score and their offensive problems that they have. And then when Carey Price is not playing at the tippy top of his game, that team is fatally flawed. And and it's bore out this year. Good talk, guys. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And, and at least you said it at all. least they have their goaltending situation locked up for the next decade, though. So that's yeah, yeah. I, I, I gotta oh, believe boy. you can't make that change clearly because he's he's his contract is unmovable at this yes. point, and he would have been maybe a tradable piece, but you can't do that now. And and I you, you to an extent you understand why you do that for Carey Price because of what he's meant to that franchise, but they have so many holes, so many problems. You gotta believe that there's going to be major change coming, and and one of them. Maybe it should be the GM. Well, I mean, you you, clear, you lost the Subban trade, which everybody thought you did at the time, too. You lost the Druan trade. You lost the Druan trade. Although, I, uh, I, I don't blame them for one. trying that. Like, I don't, I don't hold yeah, that against well, them. How, how do you guys make that judgment in half a season in? That, I, I, just, I, I think I, it's too early. I think it's harder to find players like Sergachev yeah. than it is like Druan. But I think we can yeah, make that it, judgment. But that's fair. That's a little too early. Eh, is it? Is Druan, is he playing center or wing there now? Because if he's playing wing, then I can he's make been, the judgment. He's been bouncing between both. They started him at center. I know you guys are high on Sergeyev, and he's played well, but he's playing 15 minutes a game. He's, that's he's true. playing protected minutes. He's like a 19-year-old defenseman. Yeah, though. but let's let's wait to see how he. Yeah, that's fair. That. That's fair. Okay, well, either way, even if that is fair, I guarantee you, fans in Montreal aren't aren't sitting there patiently saying, "Well, let's give it another year or so." Even if that's the right thing to do, and I guess that comes back to where we have to really start this conversation. The three of us, Jamie's right, at the start of the year looked at Montreal and said that's not a playoff team. Even if Carey Price stands on his head, you're sneaking in as the third seed in the Atlantic or maybe a wild card if the Metro melts down, which it hasn't. But what were expectations like in Montreal? Because Craig's right. If you're the GM, you have to talk up your team every year. You can't, you're not going to sell a rebuild to fans, to most fans in Montreal. So they're a victim of their own sort of hype machine building this team up year after year I don't really think they're underachieving. I think this is just what they are. I would say expectations in Montreal are what they are in Toronto in French. <laughs> it's just reality. It's a it's a hockey mecca, so you have to have those expectations every year. You have to at least sell that. Now, Toronto did the right thing. They admitted that they needed to just strip it down and rebuild it. They did it remarkably fast. 
Montreal needs to do the same thing, but they, they probably can't say that publicly in that market. But I, I feel like... Maybe they should say it in English. Maybe. I feel like in Toronto, they were willing, as crazy as it sounds, and as, as relative of a term as that can be for that market, they were willing to, to sit back and, and experience a year of a rebuild. Mm-hmm. Would Montreal do that? The difference is it was a year of the rebuild. Yeah. If if it didn't if the chips did not fall the way they did and they were two or three years into a rebuild, you didn't get Austin Matthews. Be, yeah, it's a completely different reaction. But because they were able to turn it around so quickly, you you can survive one year. But if it's multiple years, that's when people start to get worried. Yeah, agreed completely. I mean, it did work out as well as as possible for the Maple Leafs because you're right. They went through a year of it. They had drafted well already, and that's kind of the other thing with Montreal. I don't know who their prospects coming up really are. I mean, like Toronto won that lottery and got Matthews, but they already had Nylander and Marner on the way. So you already knew that they had some good pieces, even if they ended up picking third in that draft or whatever. I, If I'm a Montreal fan, this is where I wish we, we could just call some random phone in Montreal and ask how they feel, because I'm assuming... I wouldn't understand what they said. 100% of people there are Canadians fans. Um, I just... like, What are you excited about as a Canadians fan? Mm, I don't know. The nightlife? It is a good city. <laughs> Well, yeah, it's, it's a great city, but I mean, so the actual you team. I mean, you, you know, you, once you leave the arena, you could go have a good time. Yeah. Okay, well, I guess, I guess we You're found... You're freer in Montreal than most North American cities, I would say that. Maybe we should just do this every show, find a team to find the, uh, the silver linings for. And, and this week was Montreal. Go. Sounds it's, like a Lipinski's list, but you like, know how that goes. Montreal is on, on par with Vegas and Nashville and New Orleans as a party city, so you got that going. They're not on par with Vegas as far as winning games this year. No. Uh, let's see. Edmonton will be here in Phoenix where we record the show on mm. Friday. Looking forward to that. Uh, I, I, you know, Connor McDavid is one of those talents. Actually, let's do this. Impromptu Lipinski list. Smart guy over there. Who are... Me? Yeah, you. That's the nice thing you've ever said to me. I know. And it was laden with sarcasm. Who are the, uh, the four, five, six players that if they come to town, you have to go see them play? Like Crosby, Ovechkin, McDavid. Assuming like I've never seen them Nikita. before. Yeah. Because, like, I mean, I've seen all these guys play before, so. Oh, look at me. I've seen everybody play. It's so have you. You go to literally every Coyotes game. I know, but I wasn't, I wasn't saying it, though. I know you were thinking it. Oh, I was thinking out loud. Like, uh, who, who else around the league? McD- McDavid. I want to okay. see Nikita. I want to see Austin yeah. Matthews. I, w- I want to see Henrik Lundqvist play. Well, I thought still. you were yeah. saying Stan Makita. No. It's like, no, you're not playing the game right. Bobby Orr, for sure. Yeah, long, long, I go on a first-name basis, Luke. Oh, that right. Lundqvist performance on Saturday was, was ridiculous. I mean, that was everything you wanted to be and more if you're a fan of the Rangers or Lundqvist. I mean, I know Rangers fans are ready to run him out of town every other week, but he doesn't look like he's lost anything as far as I'm concerned. And I get that the, the retort is, well, he was playing the Coyotes. They put some good shots on him. They had a lot of good chances. They should have won that game. Going back to that Duclair shot that was not a goal. Yeah. And Anthony, I asked him about it afterward, and he said he didn't get all of it. But I went back and looked at the replay. He got a lot of yeah. it. Yeah. And it was going just under the bar. And it wasn't just an extension glove save, which is much easier. Lundqvist had to bring the glove up over his shoulder yeah. to get that. As I've said, at having played the, that position at a much lower level... <laughs> That's one of the hardest saves to make as a goaltender. It was remarkable that he made that reaction and tipped that over the net. Are you ready for the uh, the inevitable tweets asking you what you know about hockey because you never played in the NHL? Because if, if nobody else sends one to you, I'm going to. Okay. All right. So just I'll be ready for yours. that. Right. Oh, which, which beer league do you play in? Uh, it's um, it's just below the NHL. It's mm. it's and not quite the AHL. How's that? Why don't you play in that league? Are you serious? Yeah. Do it. 
Uh, I, we it's don't got, have enough time on this podcast. It's got list All the reasons that that's one of them. Yes, it's great. The games are at like ten thirty at night. Mm-hmm. You'd love it, wouldn't That'd you? Be, uh, oh, I'm usually at the arena. Wait, when do you play? Which nights? All the nights. All the nights. Okay. Yeah. So you go after Coyote sometimes, and yeah, I've definitely done that. Okay, that's insanity. Well, yeah. yeah, it's hot because I have to be up the next morning at six a.m. to get my kids ready for school. Oh. You know what I'm hearing? I'm hearing excuses. Is what I'm hearing. <laughs> um, you want to take some of these listener questions? Sure. Okay. Uh, this one. Well, how about this? There's a few people on Twitter that asked some variation of this. Uh, Michelle Rose, Cochise Jack asked. Cochise Jack, by the way, if I ever do a Reader's Awards, oh boy, will get the most. He'll get the Jimmy Stewart Award for the most positive fan. Ever. Oh, okay. Yes. Cochise Jack yeah. could see beauty in a mushroom cloud. Wow. Wow, right. that's in, okay. That was almost poetic and also depressing. Oh, do you remember the, the Jimmy time? Stewart? Never mind. No. Do you guys even know who Jimmy Stewart is? Uh, I, no. Are you talking about James Stewart, who used to be the running back for the Jaguars? You mean oh, classics. James Stewart? you got to know the classics. I do. Back when Jacksonville was good. Jacksonville's still good. I know, but there was a, a huge gap between those two years. Um, I guess I'm, I'm mulching three questions together. but Mulching? Mixing? The, mulching? There is a, no, I'm, I'm, when you hear it, you'll realize it's a mulch. There's a fear out there that the Coyotes are going to go on a run in the second half and, and pass teams like Buffalo and Ottawa and Vancouver and hurt their draft stock. When have we ever seen that before? Well, I mean, that was also thrown out there the year that McDavid was available. They won a couple too many games and didn't get McDavid. As it turns out, they actually didn't win enough games to get McDavid. Edmonton had yeah. a better record. And technically, they probably should have gotten Eichel because of the, the weird way the, the ping pong ball is bouncing and it reset it and... I think what uh, we're saying is don't put so much stock in ping pong balls. It's not the NFL. Where especially after last year. Yeah. Who had the first who three knows? picks? Who had well, the first three and, picks? And that was brought up. That was brought up by somebody on Twitter, too. I'll see if I can find who that was. But that's a great point. I mean, what was it? It was New Jersey. Who was, it was bad last Philadelphia. year? Jersey, Philadelphia. Philly, Dallas. Philadelphia, which finished 40 points ahead of Colorado. <laughs> 40. <laughs> it's not an exaggeration either. Literally 40 points ahead of them. Idiotic system. So I guess... The second part of this question is, is there even anybody in this draft that you're really that excited about from pick two to pick four that there's a difference? Um, I'm, I, I, this is going to be bad because I just blanked on his name, so maybe that, that's going to... Rasmus Dahlin? Well, I, th- I figured they figured he's going one. That's why he said two to six. Okay. Well, I'm just, I mean, Dahlin's going one. But he's not um, a generational talent yet. I mean, maybe I he mean, develops no, into but, one. Like, we're spoiled by that. We've seen two generational talents come out in the last... Four years. And people need to realize that there's not one coming out this year. I mean, yeah. generational like, talent means get like one every players. 15 years or whatever. It just happened to be back-to-back. Back. The only center that I have seen consistently projected high is in the, like, 5 to 8 to 9 range. Um, and I'm trying to so find... So the Kaidos will get, you know, they'll get a high pick. I year. mean, I guess if you're going to play Brady Kachuk at center, he certainly has helped his draft stock, I would say. Maybe, maybe you have to get him at, like, 4 or 5. But... My overall point is... It doesn't matter. If the Coyotes finish with the worst record, they're not going to get the number one pick because, well, they're not located in Because Montreal will get it. Yeah, or Vancouver will. Um, But if they drop to three or four, this is not the same as when they dropped and they should have gotten McDavid or I maintain they should have gotten Eichel. Or if Austin Matthews was a couple days older, then they definitely would have gotten Eichel in in that 2015 draft. But it's... There's not as much on the line. You're, you should be able to get a good player wherever they're going to pick. I wouldn't freak out if it's yeah, if I you guess. get four instead of two. I mean, you want to improve your odds. I get that. but You want to improve your odds, but 
But for what? I mean, what if the guy that you well, have to get the pegged... best player available? So if you finish with the worst record, your odds are better of drafting in the top four. Yeah. But I guess that's my point. I feel like in this year's draft, one team's interpretation of who the best player available is might be different than another team's. I it, can... it could depend on needs a little bit, but most of the time there's pretty good consensus on the top few picks. Okay. Well, we'll see. Um, another question. This one comes from Joe, and I will aim this at Craig, although Jamie can jump in. Are the Coyotes incapable of developing players? It seems like they excel at asset acquisition but never see the results they want to after three years. I think it's a loaded it's, question. I, well, I think it's too early to even judge because when you look at their development staff, how long have they been in place? How long have Steve Sullivan and Mike Van Ryn even been here? Not three years. Yeah, that's that's the problem. They Up until very recently, they simply didn't have the resources. They were run by the league until I say Arizona took over them, and it took a year, maybe more, for that ownership group to even figure out all the organizational needs. So... I think for the first time, they actually have a development plan, a solid development plan in place. So we're not seeing the returns on that just yet. I, I would agree. I would agree with that for sure. I mean, if you go back four or five, six years, they didn't have prospects like this. You know, you can look at any one of these. You, you could look at any of the Coyotes' prospects and say, okay, you know, there's some issues and we, there's no guarantee any of them are going to step up and be elite uh, or even all-stars or even really good but they've got so many that are knocking on the door that you have to figure a couple of them are going to be decent. If we get two years down the line and you're not really seeing any improvement from them, okay, then you know, then we can have some questions. But it can't be one of them hasn't improved because that might just be on the individual player. If we're sitting here talking in a couple years about Domi and Keller and Duclair and Fisher and Perlini and Chikrin and you know, whoever else I might be missing, um, if none of them are taking steps forward— you know, then you can have a concern. But yeah. those guys are all in their first, second, or third years. Yeah, so, I mean, it still needs some time to, to see it. Obviously, it's discouraging for the players that have had a couple years of NHL experience with the Coyotes that we are not seeing tangible steps forward for them. That's a concern. But okay. overall, and for the whole system, it's too early to tell. 2013 was when Ice Arizona took over. Take a, How many, without looking, since 2000, how many of the Coyotes' first-round picks are on the roster prior to 2013. Are currently on this roster? Yes. Well, OEL. Yeah, OEL is one. Not Mikel Bodker. Ch- uh, Chitrin is one. But he's not prior to 2013. Not uh, prior to 2013. Uh, yeah, OEL. That's it. Because yeah. what do you have? Mueller and Bodker and Turris and... Connor Murphy. Wheeler, Brandon Murphy. Brandon Gormley. Henrik Samuelson. Chris Bodker. Summers. Yes, Henrik Samuelson. Kyle Turris, who is having a, a nice little yeah. career right now and who... John Chaika told me he, he sort of wishes he had been the gym, GM then because he liked to have Kyle Turris on his team. Peter Mueller. Martin Hansel's gone now. Hansel's gone. Blake Wheeler, obviously. Wheeler never happened. Way out of Chaika's hands, obviously. Blake Kyle Wheeler Turris, having a really nice career. Tyler Redenbach. Who? Jacob Corys. Who? <laughs> terrible draft pick. Frederick Schustrom, or Hustrom as he told me it's pronounced. If and, you want to give yourself And Chris Kalanos. If you want to give yourself the worst headache in the world, and this is... Ownerships, multiple ownerships removed, and po- multiple front offices removed. But go back. Is it the 2003 draft where basically they every had no team picks and every All Star went in the first round? Yeah, yeah. no, and, and the second. Traded away all their picks. Every NHL team added like two potential Hall of Famers, except the Coyotes didn't have picks in the first two rounds. Right. And talking like Shea Weber was a late second round pick. I mean, everybody was available in that draft. That's good right now. And everybody the Coyotes picked in the 2003 draft, not not a single one of those players played a single game in the NHL. But they didn't pick in the first two rounds. Right. But even then, you. you you look at all the names after that. Nobody played one NHL game. That's brutal. That's that's a problem. All right, let's let's 
slide away from the Coyotes again here for a little bit. Okay. Um, the bye weeks are here. Yay, Yay. I guess. It's not really a week. Bye, the bye five days. days. Yeah, well, or six days for some teams, or seven for one. Yeah, I guess it depends uh, how Ottawa's it works just out. on a bye for the rest of the season. I That's think cool. Ottawa needs it right now. Ottawa needs just to end the season. No. Oh. So they don't even come back after the bye week. Just redo the schedule for 30 teams, and we'll be back. So I talked to Kevin Connaught, and see, now we're back on Coyotes. But Kevin Connaught well, is whatever. the player rep for okay. the Coyotes. So I, I talked to him a little bit about the bye weeks and whether players like the structure of it. And, you know, as he said, everybody likes days off. You're not going to complain about that, but... When you look at the Christmas break, you look at the bye week, which isn't a week, and then look at the All-Star break. They lump it all so close together that it messes up the month of January. And you give the, you give these players all this rest at the same time, but then maybe they could use it at another point in the season. Specifically, later in the spring, maybe you give them a break there. Some players have mentioned this to me, so that guys can refuel for an absolute playoff grind. There's nothing like the NHL playoffs to just wear down players and the injuries, the attrition that you see. So why not give it to them later? Or, you know, Kevin Connaughton's idea was, you know, what I'd like to see is them lump a, you know, a day on either end of the Christmas break and then maybe do the same thing at the All-Star break so you can get more time then. That's not bad. Is that something that, that he thinks they may do? I mean, he's, if he's he the said, player I'm rep. I'm sure it'll be discussed at some point. But, you know, he just took over as player rep when, when Michael Stone was traded. So, yeah. But those, those are things to consider because I, I, it doesn't make sense to me either. You, you, you mess up your team's practice schedule, too, by the way, when you give them these mandated days off. Now, teams that have five days off, they can practice on that last day in preparation for a game the next day. But it really does mess up your schedule when you consider the Christmas break and the All-Star break. It, it takes away from continuity, and I'm not sure it accomplishes what your players need. Later in the season, like, could you do this in early March? Can you imagine a break in early March? Yeah. How beneficial that would be to teams heading into the playoffs. The thing is, and, and just a couple you know, basic points for people that don't know all the details, it's not like every team's on bye week this week. It's, no. it's, it's, it's basically spread out, but it's only spread out over the month of January. Right. And, yeah, you can't practice during your bye week. So Except you, for, like, the final day. The last, of the yeah. last day. So you basically have to get out of town and go on vacation or whatever. I mean, I guess you can do the ever-popular staycation. But you're not, you're not improving. You're not getting those practices during that week. The, the thought of having them in March... I kind of like, or at least yeah. pushing them to February. But the issue you run into if you get to March is how do you structure it so some teams don't get a distinct advantage? Because at that point, if a playoff team, like let's say you give the Penguins a break from March 10th to March 16th, you're really giving them an advantage after what they've gone through the last couple of years. And then and Nashville, doesn't they, their break is late February or something? Well, I think what you do is you make sure, at least if not conference-specific, you make sure it's division-specific. So everybody in the Metro has their break around the same time. And then to, to take that one step further, you, you probably try and make the Eastern Conference around the same time. Yeah. Now you, could, you could create a conference-to-conference advantage, I suppose, that way. But by the time you get to the cup final, it doesn't matter anyway. What, uh, this was actually supposed to be the transition when we started talking about Edmonton. What coaches or GMs do you think are on the hot seat midway through the season? Um, Todd McClellan. Yeah. <laughs> to start. Yeah. And, and is it even fair? Is it fair? Hey, we're going to keep taking away good pieces, and <laughs> then we're going to blame you when it doesn't work. Yeah, he's he's probably at the top of the list. got to be, right? Because a couple other guys we had at the start of the season have... Have acquitted themselves. Hey, Travis Over Green. East. Travis Green has overachieved. Yes, yes absolutely. Vancouver. Absolutely. He's like yes. Todd Bowles with the Jets. This is house money for him, right? If he did anything good, mm-hmm. people would be surprised. I don't think you can take from anybody in the Metro right now. I know 
David Haxtall was was under the the microscope for a while, and they are tied for last in that division. But they're well above Hockey 500. They've got 46 points. They'd be right near the top of other divisions, right? So I, I you can't. I don't think anybody from the Metro should lose their job if they keep playing like this. What do you, again, this is early, but the NHL is crazy. Um, would, would, would you be looking in Ottawa, in Montreal? I don't think you can look in Florida because that's all the owner's doing probably, or the GMs at least. But would you be looking at a guy like Guy Boucher at this point? After going to the conference final last year, you're, you have 37 points. Uh, you have to have somebody in particular in mind. I have somebody particular in mind. But it, who would you like to hire for the I, Ottawa Senators? If job? I had the next, the next NHL coach opening should go to Dave Tippett. Uh, he's probably going to get one really quickly. So if you if you think you have a chance of getting him, and it, you have to fire your coach two weeks sooner to do it, you do it. Is there? Let's stay on that for a second. If you're if you're a team hiring Dave Tippett, is there a certain style of of play you have to have, or is there a certain roster you need to have in place? No. Okay. No, I think you, I think you that's want followed a team him around. That, that yes, has of course it has. Because yes. people ignore his years in yes. Dallas. When he I had think lots would, of offensive talent, and they were one of the top scoring teams. In the I league. think you would like to sell him on. Hey, we have a puncher's chance of making the postseason next year. I mean, yeah. that would be selling it to Tippett. Hey, and we just else. traded Kyle Turris, so you don't have to worry about that relationship. <laughs> All right, so he's going to Ottawa. Is what we're hearing. <laughs> Perfect. I'm, and yeah, you have Eric Carlson. I think he'll, quite frankly, have better options. Yeah, I do too. Unless I, Carl, unless Carlson resigns between now and the time that that move potentially happens, I think there are a lot better options out there. If I'm Dave Tippett, I'm waiting for the best oh, yeah. option because There's, you know you're rush? high on everyone's list. What's the rush? There are no major like other candidates out there right now. One of the hidden gems of the last, like, what, 10, 15 years, I guess probably 15 now in the NHL, is the fact that Dave Tippett once, once uh, coached Sean Avery. I don't think people really make that connection. But can you imagine what that locker room must have been like? I mean, they were winning because they had some future Hall of Famers in that locker room. But, yeah. Uh, uh, Sorry, the, uh, the, that's our Dave Tippett meter. It went it's freeway, overloaded. It's freeway noise. It's, it's, we're recording right by the side of the road, apparently. <laughs> we like to take our show on the road. We were Gerard Gallant literally. was picked up by the taxi cab. <laughs> we're just on the back of a flatbed truck speeding down the, the I-10 doing this podcast. I, I know that you say you think Dave Tippett's going to have better options than Ottawa. Um, should Guy Boucher really even be getting fired? He's sort of a victim of, of setting the bar too high last year. Probably. Yeah, I mean, it's it, this is not just a matter of what's fair. It's what's a matter of what's probably going to happen. Do you always look at uh, who else? Who's who's on the? Uh, are you looking at Detroit? That's sort of what I'm getting at. Yeah. It, yeah, there should be better options than Ottawa if that job were available. Are, are what are the other options? options? Yeah, true. Edmonton, as much as they have problems, I mean, if that job comes available, you have two franchise centers. But at would Dave point. Tippett be able to coach Connor McDavid? No, apparently oh no. He, would he, he wouldn't yeah, know what to do. Yeah, what would he do with skilled players? He would, he would just make him play defense. I wonder. Know, just, uh, he'd be a checking. Center. I wonder yeah. if Mike Madano knows what he would do with skilled players. Yes, that's interesting. He does. In fact, he's talked about it, but people just keep ignoring it. <laughs> Dave Tippett doesn't know what to do with skilled players. Well, I wonder in if, spite if of the if fact hockey... that one of the best skilled players ever says Dave Tippett knows exactly what to do with skilled players. Well, I mean, Hockey Candor certainly hasn't given him anything that would indicate that they think that he can right. coach young skilled players right. ever. Oh wait, yeah. I, I don't see a lot of coaches that are lined up to lose their jobs at this point. I, I really, which I mean, is weird. You're right? not going to fire Phil Housley. He just he just took over in Buffalo. How many how many job openings were there last year? I, I don't even remember the count, but it was high. Yeah, actually, I'm going to find the story because we had a piece on it today we on did. FanRag Sports about there's an interesting stat about the lack of coach firings. I'm going to find it. So and, well, and how, how about this? I mean, if, if you're talking about the NHL, where Turnover among head coaches, I believe, is even higher than the NFL. And this is the stat to back that up. 
every single NHL team except Chicago has switched head coaches at least once in less than the last five years. Every single one. The second longest tenured NHL head coach with his current team is John Cooper, who was hired in March of 2013. And there was talk they might fire him last year yeah. just yep. because all their players were hurt. So maybe that's why. Every, everybody's just too new to the, to the yeah. team. So well, they have to give them a little more time. And here's the so, stat. At least till this summer. Here's the stat. The last time there were no coaches fired in the first half of, this, of a full season was 1966-67 when there were only six teams in the league. 11 NHL coaches were hired in 2017. I was just going to say that. 11. Yeah, Doug Waite started it in January January 17th of 2017. 11 teams have new coaches five, last year. Half of the NHL coaches have been hired since 2016. Yeah, five coaches were fired before Valentine's Day last season. Crazy. Valentine's Day massacre. Oh, I see what yes. you did there. Oh, what about nice for the setup. What about any uh, any GMs around the league that you're, you're worried about? <laughs> uh, worried about uh, or think that they should lose their jobs? Uh, however you want to interpret the question. An important distinction. Okay. I can't think of one. <laughs> okay. Let's. Uh, How did he finish third in voting last year? How did GMs and, and some broadcast journalists vote him the third best GM in the league last year? Peter, well, he had the foresight. We're talking, to, of course, about Peter. He had Schoen. the foresight to take Connor McDavid two years prior God, with the first pick. Nobody else thought that. Brilliant move. Nobody else thought brilliant. the kid had a chance. <laughs> how many? We, we need to go through and look at how many times Edmonton has drafted in the top 10 in the last, I don't know how many years. No, it'll give you And a what headache. they've done with it. What they've done with they're missing the playoffs this year. They will miss the playoffs. You think they're year. going to miss the playoffs? I think they're this going year. to miss the playoffs this year. I, I'm not sure. I'm ready to write them off. Yet. Eight points back right now with two more games played than Colorado. That's really embarrassing. It is embarrassing. <laughs> it's embarrassing for me that I'm still on the Oilers train. Is, isn't there a uh, is there a January one date? Well, or to is be there fair, I've never really been on their train. Per, there's another percentage of teams that yeah, are. Yeah, I think it's if you're like all star. Yeah, but if it's like ten points or more, you you just, yeah, you just don't, don't make it. It doesn't happen. Yeah. We're close. It's not just that they're eight points behind Colorado. I mean, Minnesota, Anaheim, Chicago, and Calgary are also between them and Colorado. And You need to stop talking about the Blackhawks. You need to get off that train. But those four teams, would it shock you if any of them made the playoffs? No. Over Edmonton? Shock well, not over Edmonton. Most people probably had all four of those teams in the playoffs at the start of the year. Which of those teams do you not want to see in the playoffs? Chicago. Minnesota. Okay. That's where I am too. Minnesota that team just, bores me. They bore me to death. Poor Sarah yeah, McClellan. Although I'm not like the team that she covered before is all that more exciting right now. Anyway, yeah. so why is Minnesota so boring? That's I don't know. Just I don't know. Just something in the water. Because they have a bunch of good players and no great players. Yeah, they are New York Rangers two years ago. Yeah, light. that's what it feels Mid-Twilight. like. To me. Yeah, but yeah. they've good goaltending and just a bunch of solid players. They have some exciting prospects on the way. So right? we've been told. Yeah, that's what they say. And no, they never really the didn't get any of those. Yeah, no, no, we came back in the Mark Hansel deal. Did they get any of those? Yeah, yeah. No, they didn't. Or the Devin Dubnik Hey, that was such a steal, though. You're right, though. They really are the Rangers of, of the are. West. They feel like it. In the sense that they're I, always in the mix, but they're, you, they're not really ever doing anything. You never anything. expect them to do anything. Maybe they'll win a playoff round. They're, they're not a serious cup contender. When does Colorado drop off? They've won five in a row. That's a good question. That is a surprising story there. And they are currently in a playoff spot. I mean, they are basically... They're not, they're not Vegas. They're not that story. But if you're looking for the second most compelling story, and this transitions into something else Craig wanted to talk about, I think the fact that the Avalanche are in a playoff spot as we head towards the All-Star break mm-hmm. after the horrible season they had last year. It's quite a turnaround. Borderline historically bad. And all they've really done is traded away Matt Duchesne. And all they got back for him were players you'll see down the line. Nate McKinnon's having a ridiculous year, by the way. Jumping into the MVP talk he should be at this point yeah I, I want somebody to write a story on what has changed for the avalanche because they really haven't added any pieces 
If only you knew somebody who wrote about hockey, Luke. Huh. Huh. Maybe I'll get on this. Okay. Uh, any other storylines you guys are looking at here in the second half? Storylines? Yeah, well, I mean, okay, hold I, think, on. I think Vegas is, is clearly something to watch. If the, can, they, can they actually sustain this over the course of a full season? Can they finish with the number one seed in the Western Conference? Which, they're, they're in really good position to do that right now. They have two games in hand on Winnipeg. They have a three-point lead on them. They're seven points up on the Kings in the Pacific Division now with a game in hand. And nobody, nobody can win at T-Mobile Arena. No, they can't. I mean, it's it's unreal. Watch, right? it, it's, mean, it's still, yeah, it's still the number one storyline. Yes. But I it's wanna, not the only one. I want to see if New Jersey can hang on, if they can sustain this over the course of the season. Just get into the playoffs. They don't have to win the division, but can they finish in the top three in the Metro? Which would be saying something. I know Columbus has injury issues. There are other things going on. Pittsburgh, of course, needs to trade players like Chris Letang, but... Can they can they sustain this? Can they remain in the top three and take a major step forward after you you know where they were last season as well? They had a very bad season as well, and of course Toronto. What what will what will the read be in Toronto if this team finishes as the third seed in the division? Will people lose their minds? What would be more impressive to you? And you'd have to take a step back and look big picture. But let's say Vegas drops off a little bit, but they still make the playoffs. Let's say they're the two or the three in the Pacific. Is that more impressive to you or New Jersey if they finished? in a playoff spot in that just crazy metropolitan division because not a whole Vegas and New Jersey yeah Uh, it's going to be Vegas no matter what they do yeah if they make the playoffs they're still going to be the surprise but I'm saying like both not that they win the division not that they have home ice let's just say they they slide in as the three seed in the Pacific that's still more impressive to you than New Jersey doing it yes because I had them being the worst team in the league this year okay absolutely all right sorry New Jersey I tried I did what I could any other major storylines Who's going to win the MVP? Is it, are we just giving it to Kucherov? Not quite yet. Okay. It's a little too early, but he's, he's certainly one of the leading candidates, no doubt. I don't, is there a goalie in the mix this year? I don't really put Vasilevsky in really. that mix because of the team in front of him. Now, you look at his numbers, like all of his numbers are so incredible. He's probably going to win the Vezina. Although, if Corey Crawford comes back and gets the Blackhawks into the playoffs, he yeah, needs to be in be consideration. But in terms of MVP, yeah, Kucherov's right there, and they're they're just a handful of players right now that are that are pushing him. Like I said, Nate McKinnon, as, I think he's number two in scoring now, isn't he? Yeah, he's right up there. So there's there there are a few players that could challenge still. We'll see how it goes. We'll see what Connor McDavid does over the second half of the season if he gets Edmonton into the playoffs, as you seem to think is still happening. That's something uh, to I'm watch thinking as well. it less and less the more I look at the standings. I, I really thought at some point they would wake up, but. Hasn't happened yet. No, and and just the fact that there's so many good teams in front of them, I, yeah. I, yeah, I don't even think it's a matter of waking up. I, I just don't think they're that good. No, but I, they should be better than this. Why? I don't know. Just because of the two centers? Just, yeah, most teams don't have those two centers. They should be able to figure out a way to not be one of the worst teams in the NHL. That's uh, There's no other word to describe it than embarrassing, to have McDavid and Dreisaitl and be one of the worst teams in the NHL. You should be embarrassed as the GM for what you've done to this team when you have those two pieces and you still haven't managed to field a playoff team. I know we touched on a couple things. We'd change about the NHL just in terms of the All-Star game, the outdoor games, and any, anything else here at the, at the midpoint of the year. One minor thing after watching Mika Zibanejad take yeah. his time getting in on the, on the shootout the other night. I'd like to see a shot clock for shootouts because I don't like that players like Patrick Kane who... You know, the, the rule is you have to be making... The puck has to be moving forward, right? You have to be making progress toward the goal. Yeah. It doesn't feel like it with some of these shooters. I mean, they, they really push the limit on that. Patrick Kane really takes his time sometimes getting to the goalie. 
give them a shot clock. You know, there, there's probably a reasonable amount of time that you can do, you can institute after doing some research on how long that play should take to develop, and then make the player shoot by that amount of time because it, it just seems unfair if a guy can skate in at that kind of pace, just wait and wait and wait because the goalie's major advantage is he can wait for the shooter to commit in that situation. Plus, the the net is not that big and goalies mm-hmm. are huge. When when you take that advantage away, when the shooter can wait for the goalie to commit because he's moving so slowly, it, it almost feels unfair. Yeah, it sort of feels like because you're right, there is you know the rule in place where you're supposed to be going forward the whole time. It feels like traveling in the NBA where yeah, there's a rule, but we're not really going yeah. to enforce it. And you're yeah, that's a tremendous advantage for the shooter over the goalie because you don't want to be the first one to commit, like you just said. And if the shooter's just going to slowly coast down the ice and, and lightly stick handle and maybe even pull it behind him. And right, because really he's going so slowly, line. right? Yeah. At that pace, how many, how many fakes can you put on a goaltender when you're moving that slowly? You can put a ton on them. And, and these guys are so good that, yeah, you could be just coasting slowly and in a split second all of a sudden turn it on and be moving at, at high speed. Right. So the goalie can't just – I know the thought is, well, just cut down the angle and wait for them. Like, you can't. No. At a certain point, like, you run out of time. And then when you're a player like Zibanejad who has incredible hands, once you get an opening, after your seventh fake, you, you put it in the net. It probably shouldn't be as difficult as, as maybe it is to distinguish – who the best shootout players are. You know what I mean? To just the casual fan, like the best guys in the shootout probably should be the best players during the, the 60 minutes of regulation and the five minutes of overtime. And yet we see such a discrepancy where yeah. you'll see some guys that are just shootout artists and maybe there should be one or two, but generally speaking, it shouldn't be some guy that you wouldn't even use very much during the game, but you know you can plug him in in the shootout because different rules allow him to score. Because there basically is a shot clock on the goalie, just the way it's set up, there isn't one on the shooter. I got nothing to add. I'm I'm barely surviving. Are you okay at this over point? There? No, it's not great. All right. Well, I think so. we should we should filibuster and just do a 12 hour show. All right. Well, we're going to wrap things up then by talking to Kevin Paul Dupont about the Boston Bruins and the crazy run they have gone on to the uh, not the top of the Atlantic, but they're close. Also, before we hit that, we should thank. I know he doesn't want to be thanked by name, he or she, but the uh, listener who sent in the uh, Starbucks gift card. Yeah, because you got your what praline chai tea latte squared or whatever. Yeah, well, the, the best part was that, that Jamie had to go order it. So is, is this the second week in a row, by the way, that this gift card has it has purchased coffee? Yes. So we want to uh, thank and, and encourage listeners. Encourage future gifts. Is that what you're doing? <laughs> <laughs> we like coffee here. Yeah. If you want to send donations, can be made to Craig it, Morgan. Cars. We're okay to send a shout out to you too if you if yeah. you want to be named. On yeah, the we would we would name this small this price listener, to pay for free coffee. This was the the true uh, altruistic act of kindness where they did not want to be named. They really just wanted to amazing. make our lives better. Really is amazing, and they have so good for them. Hopefully, the last four hours of this podcast made their life better. Uh, I'm guessing maybe this week's episode didn't. All right, we're going to try and improve things right now by talking to Kevin Paul Dupont about the Boston Bruins. All right, joining us now to talk about the NHL's hottest team, the Boston Bruins, Kevin Paul Dupont. You can find him on Twitter, at GlobeKPD. Uh, Kevin, I imagine this has been a pretty fun team to cover through the first half of the season, especially recently. What, uh, what, uh, what specifically has stood out lately for this group? Well, I think over the last six weeks here, uh, it's, it's, I, I can't say that it's been one thing, but it has been uh, textbook in the sense that it's it's following what they had hoped here, meaning that management decided over the summer, if we go back to July one, not to spend money on free agents. They did they they spent some short money on uh, Agostino, a forward, and uh, 
and Paul Postma, who's uh, a lot of people remember from the Western Conference, Winnipeg. Uh, so very short money purchases as as uh, backup guys, neither of whom they've needed, because they were going to bring in a whole bunch of kids, including Charlie McAvoy and Jake DeBrusque and his Bjork, who recently was sent down to the minors. Uh, uh, most important in that in that bunch of kids, Charlie McAvoy. So. Uh, what's happened here is, as I say, either boilerplate or textbook, uh, the kids have emerged as solid players. None of them, I would say, sensational, but most nights, solid, good, occasional uh, you know, flashes of brilliance, especially from McAvoy, but mixed in with the core that finally became healthy here in the last four weeks. Uh, a, a substantial core you know, down the middle with Bergeron and Krejci, and then Chara is sort of the linchpin to the back. Uh, it's it's all emerged like they had hoped. Uh, I would say beyond they had hoped. If I went back and looked at my uh, preseason predictions, I, I would have I had them figured to be kind of where they were last year, uh, meaning fighting for a seventh or eighth seed in the West. Uh, and they have emerged here now in the last three or four weeks to be substantially better than that, and and should challenge for the top, you know stay challenging, I should say, in the top four seeds. So, uh, again, it's not – I should add to the mix here that Tuka Rask, again, has been solid uh, up until last night where he really threw a stinker in Pittsburgh. But uh, overall, his previous dozen starts were sensational. Uh, you know, uh, goals against around 180, save percentage around 950. You can't ask much more than that. So you, you take that, the solid contributions from the kids, the existing core, and a new philosophy of playing under Butch Cassidy in terms of pressing the puck more, being more offensive-minded than, than, of course, they were for those 10 years under Claude Julien. If, I, if my math is correct here, Kevin, and that's always, uh, always an iffy proposition, the Bruins, obviously 8-0-2 in their last games, but when, when play ended on November 15th, they were 6-7-4. and Since then... 16-3-2. Has this altered any of the thinking? And, and I know we're still five weeks out from the trade deadline, but, but what's the thinking for this team for this season, for the playoffs, for, for possibly adding uh, when, when they get to the deadline? I don't see that they've got a real urgency to do that. Uh, that said, uh, if you, you know, at some point, <laughs> at some point I, I think Zdeno Chara will retire, uh, <laughs> but I don't think it's going to be imminent. Uh, that said, once you get by Chara on left-side left defense, it gets thin, uh, not only in the immediate, but through the organization. So I think if they could go out and find a left-handed D who, who they could uh, not even necessarily uh, play in the top four, but at least be in their, in their mix, so, you know, in, in terms of five, six, seven. Uh, so depth, a depth defenseman, if not, if not a better-than-that defenseman, uh, I, I think they feel comfortable at forward lines. They, they really like their mix. They've got a fourth line now that's really fun to watch. You know, a bunch of no-name kids in terms of Timmy Schaller and Sean Corrali and Noel Achari. Uh, we're, we're calling them because of their work, the trench connection. <laughs> uh, uh, you know, when, when you're happy with the fourth line, which looks like one of those reliable, playoff, grinding, up-tempo, uh, keep them pressed to the wall lines. Uh, they're 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 happy here right now, and I think they I think they should be. Sure, would you, would any team would like to add 
35, 40 goal scorers and court defense. But as we know, that isn't what happens at the trade deadline. Kevin, a guy like David Backus, I mean, obviously he, he's expected to mean a lot to the team. If I'm doing my math right, they are 15-2-6 and six in games he's played this year. Did they expect that much of an injection when he got back in the lineup? He's an interesting case, Backus. Of course, he, he came last year big money. They gave him $6 million a year for five years. Uh, he played, I'm not going to say well below uh, as anticipated last year, but he, he really turned in what I would call a gentleman C, especially when, uh, it, when weighed against the money. So he's a little lighter in a long way around. He's a little lighter on his feet right now because of uh, he had a couple of acute attacks, one over the summer and then one on the eve of the seasoning of, of, uh, of diverticulitis, which ultimately led about a month after he, he came, well, not a month, but about a couple of weeks after he came back into the lineup, they decided that he would need surgery for that, uh, for, a, for an intestinal infection that had developed. So uh, th- that put him down for close to a month, and since he's come back, he's, he's really played well. Uh, again, to kind of fit that into the larger picture, so he's, he's, he's typically playing with Riley Nash, who's, who's had a reputation as a checking center, and then a rookie, Danton Heinen, who played at the University of Denver, uh, so that's that's been a very productive line. And, in fact, uh, I should have mentioned Heinen before. Heinen, for this stretch of whatever it is, 23 or 24 games, has, at least until last night, because the numbers got skewed a bit of last night, and, uh, but uh, up until last night, he had been their most reliable offensive performer for the last six weeks with a, a point a game for six weeks, which is something in this league now. It was something in the old league, if you will, but... He's been very productive. So together, long-winded here, I'm sorry, but uh, uh, Bacchus, I think, has benefited from uh, the, the entire tide coming up. I don't see it as him lifting the tide. I think he's, he's fit well. This line has, has, has been a finally probably the best fit in the year and a half that he's been here. And uh, I, I don't see that that's going to change. Kevin, you mentioned Denton Heinen. Uh, and we heard a lot, obviously, about Charlie McAvoy at the start of the season, but not a lot of mention nationally for Denton. What were their expectations from him coming into the season? Well, that's interesting because he, he made the team out of training camp last year, and he had a very solid training camp. And then we've seen this a million times. <laughs> the, the curtain rises on the regular season, and some of these kids who looked really good for it, for you know, uh, two weeks in September, they, they disappear, and he was the classic case of that. He looked timid along the wall, uh, wasn't using his shot, wasn't using his feet, all the things he had to. So he really did benefit by uh, a full year, virtually a full year down in Providence, came back up here. I'm not going to say he's, he's pedal to the metal, uh, chasing down pucks now and, and being, a, a, being a true presence along the boards, but he, he's... He's more of he's more of the player that they envisioned, which is a guy who can shoot it, a guy who can move okay, uh, does have good good spatial game sense, and and has shown the willingness, which is probably the most important part. If he doesn't have the puck, the willingness to go get it, uh, as opposed to last year when he got in that early rut, losing the puck and then standing there and watching it. So uh, much better at. Uh, at uh, playing, playing in the moment and uh, playing to get it back in order to do something with it. Brad Marchand leading the team with 40 points. What's the biggest difference the last three seasons you've seen from him as he's transitioned from a, a very solid player to a player that's producing one of the top forwards in the NHL? 
What strikes me most about Brad is is that he's able to play with, you know, so much of his game is attitude, and that, of course, that's true of many players. But it's it's more obvious, I guess, with Marshawn because he's he's that sort of agitator, mouthy guy, and he he kind of he kind of lives off giving it to guys and guys giving it back to him. So uh, all of that was baked into the cake. I would say even before he came to Boston, I think that was his attitude growing up through junior. Small guy, uh, underappreciated for his uh, for his both his speed and his shot. I think if you look at his true pluses on Marchand, faster than many people would think, and a much better shot than you than you might guess. He really he, he, quick release and hard, uh, for, and especially for a small guy, right? But what I think he's added to the mix, and, and we haven't spent much time talking about this here, is he's really in shape. I mean, he's, and that's not to say he was the Pillsbury Doughboy before, <laughs> but uh, if you look through the room, he's he's among the most uh, toned up and ripped. So I think uh, he's he's learned that. Uh, he's learned some discipline, which helps him a lot. You know, he's he's had a, a history of getting himself into trouble with the. Uh, with the league disciplinary office because of slew foots and kind of some cheap moves. But I think, especially this season, he's been far more focused on, rather than energy into that stuff, energy into good plays, staying disciplined, and delivering. I mean, he did that last year, and he's, he's delivering again offensively. He said very, very short periods. He did have one stretch. I remember when the team was in Phoenix last year, uh, he had one stretch, I think, where he had about 13 or 14 games with only one goal. Um, he was still getting—he's still getting his assists, but wasn't getting his goals. He's been far more consistent this year in, in, in delivering that punch, kind of start to finish so far. Kevin, is is David Krejci fully healthy at this point? Is there concern about this lingering? Yeah, I'm, I'm beginning to have my doubts if he's ever going to be fully healthy. Uh, a and again, I don't know exactly what he's dealing with. We've we've been led to believe that it's a back, and it's, and sometimes, as you know, backs can be such a devilish problem in terms of good one day, bad the next, uh, uh, do something wrong, and it means two weeks on the sideline. So, I don't have that answer. I do know, in a couple of flashes in the last two to three weeks, uh, even though the, maybe the numbers haven't been as prolific as anybody would like, I'd say his play has been harder and. Harder and sharper, for whatever that means. That's my sort of my own definition. Harder and sharper than I remember him for quite a while. So I'd say that's encouraging too. Uh, he's he's been sort of an interesting guy in terms of they've they've kind of bopped around on who to give him. Most of the time now he's with one of the rookies, DeBrusque, whom I mentioned early. And of late, he's had uh, Ryan Spooner, who's a, who's naturally a center. Uh, Spooner's been on his right wing, so. I, I I don't know exactly how that will play out during the year. I, I, I guess of the of the four lines right now, that would be the line I would say that's that's kind of open to interpretation or change. But on the same hand, I don't see Cassidy eager to change anything right now. Kevin Patrice Bergeron, I know we asked you about him during the off season heading into the year. I mean, he's just doing what he always does. I was kind of thrown off by the fact that for his career, he's averaging basically three quarters of a point per game on top of everything else he does. Can we just pencil him in for the Selkie again? I mean, is, is he still, even if he's maybe not as flashy as everybody else, he's still the MVP of this team? I would say so, yeah. I mean, it is, 
there's also there's, at some point you run the risk of having a man crush on the guy, but it's just a, uh, he's 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 so dependable and he's so always in the right spot, and everything everything that's asked of him, be it the power play, the penalty kill, the five on five, you know, we should mention it was just within the last five days that his line with Marshawn and David Pasternak. Uh, gave up their first even strength goal, first five on five even strength goal of the year, which well, that, that's amazing to me. But that, that speaks to the glue factor of Bergeron and his intelligence. There's so much about him that I think kind of just the I was relate to this is you know the the, the 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 person who goes to the NHL rink for the first time and just watches it. There's really nothing that's going to stand out about him. It, he's not the fastest. Doesn't have the hardest shot. Uh, he's not he's not drilling guys all the thing all all uh, sort of the uh, eye candy elements that the game has Bergeron is none of them uh, what what his eye candy is positioning spatial awareness always making the right play always leading the penalty kill the bumper on the power play and the list goes on and on uh, and and really does certainly does it better than anybody on this team and I would say I would argue in the top dozen players, I haven't even talked about his his acumen at, at faceoffs, which is typically he's around 56, 57, uh, 56, 57, 58 percent. Some nights you'll look down and he's he's, he's registered 75 percent. So uh, he's 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 everything. I was going to say he's everything people talk. People don't really talk about it. Don't talk about him. His numbers are never going to be prolific. But as you say. Uh, pretty metronomically at 50, 55, 56, 58 points, right, right in that range. And then on top of everything, does it all right. It's, he's, uh, it, you know, there's, you, you can, not a lot of people would do this, I guess, but you can put him right there with Crosby, but Crosby's got more flash and speed and he is more prolific. It's, it's, a, it's sort of a, and, and I hate to even say this. It's it's a it's a lighter version of Crosby, but I, I hesitate to say that because I don't think that even that gives enough credit to uh, Patrice. I admitted to having a man crush on him two years ago, actually, Kevin. So I'm glad you brought that up. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so tell us about maybe, uh, maybe it's the French. What's that? Maybe it's the French thing. <laughs> <laughs> All right. We'll just leave that hanging on there for yeah, interpretation right. by the listeners. But tell us a little bit about your vacation. You're headed to Costa Rica. Oh gosh, yeah, uh, I am. Uh, so, uh, sort of a landmark event in my life. Turning 65 this week, so uh, we're doing a family trip down to Costa Rica to, to just see how much, uh, I guess, how much trouble. This is not the beach vacation. I've got a son who's uh, in college, and his love is ornithology and you know, all all forms of birds, studying them, the biology of them, the chasing, mostly the chasing of them. So I, I suspect for the next seven or eight days that's what we'll be doing. So I'm, I am looking forward to it. It's, it, had I been left to my own devices, it would have been the beach and the, and the lawn chair and the pina coladas, but I don't think I get that call in this trip. <laughs> all right, Kevin. Well, thanks for the time. Enjoy the week off, all right? All right, guys. Always a pleasure. All right, thanks a lot. Take care, Kevin. Kevin Paul Dupont. Again, you can find him on Twitter at Globe KPD. Uh, some interesting stuff in there. The the fact that you know, I think around the league, fans and, and even media types are, are sort of surprised by 
just the way the Bruins rookies have produced pretty much across the board. And, and he said it in there. It's not really any one guy that's just been dominant, but they're all producing. But what's interesting is you hear him talking, and, and you know, he did mention this before the season when we had him on the preview, the, uh, the Bruins. They were internally expecting a lot from their rookies, just maybe not even production from all of them, I think is maybe the fairest way to say it. Yeah, and we talked about this uh, a few podcasts ago. You know, I think a lot of the attention early for, for rookie classes anyway this season was was focused on New Jersey because of the hot start they got off to, you know, guys like Will Butcher, Jesper Bratt, and Nico Hischier driving it. But Boston was actually the team leading the league in points by rookies. And, you know, I, I, we heard a couple of these names. I think we heard a little bit about Jake DeBrusque. We definitely heard about... Charlie McAvoy as a potential Calder Trophy candidate, but Dan Heinen came out came out of nowhere. Yeah. So, and this is we we talked about this previously. How Boston really needed this infusion of youth, speed, energy into a lineup that was aging. Well, they got it, and, and the returns have have produced results. I think faster than anybody expected. And then when you add in a return to health of some of these key players, Tuka Rask is playing better. I don't know what to think of this team right now, but they have been red hot for two months now. This might be a team to talk about in the Eastern Conference race. I, I don't know where they stack up against Tampa or the insane Metro division when, when it gets healthy as well, but Boston's in the mix now. Yeah, and to Luke's point, it's one thing for teams to come into a season expecting one or two rookies to make an impact for them and fill some holes. Boston has like three, four, five guys that are first or second year players that are not, that are not only making an impact, but are close to the top of their team leaderboard in points. And Forsbacka Carlson hasn't even done anything yet. I mean, that's another one that they were looking at at some point down the line producing. He really hasn't. It's just, when you look at how they stack up in the, the East, as we record this, they're a point ahead of Toronto for second in the Atlantic. I think we all pretty pretty much across the board agree that the Atlantic division is only going to get three teams. And even as well as Boston has played, they're still 10 points back of Tampa for first. But a Boston-Toronto first-round matchup, that's pretty intriguing. And we're going to get it. I mean, you can pretty much set that matchup in stone because Tampa's 10 points ahead, and the next closest team behind Toronto is Detroit somehow, and they're 11 points back. So I don't think anybody's catching those two. They may battle back and forth for home ice in that first-round matchup, but that's a first-round matchup, and it's one I want to see. Yeah, 98 points by Bruins rookies this season, by the way, which is a, a really nice mark. Absolutely it is, but I, I was as shocked as you guys. I looked across the room at the faces when I didn't realize that interesting stat that Kevin brought up. About the first, uh, though that first line came up the first five v five goal all season. That's just insane. we're halfway through January. Just speaks to Patrice Bergeron <laughs> as a defensive player. You're right too. We we can have this discussion on who the other Selkie candidates are each year, but it really is. It feels like a runner up position every year. There's just no way you can vote against this guy with what he does. And you know, I give the Selkie voters credit in the sense that you see this in other sports. I think you see it in the NHL too. In the NBA, people don't, they get tired of voting for LeBron for MVP. So even if he deserves to win it, they just kind of, you know, they find somebody else who maybe's done 95% of what he's done, but it's, they're new, so they win it or whatever. And we see it in the NHL too, I think. But with, with Bergeron, he just wins the Selkie every year. And I don't think it's people just being lazy because we see different no. finalists every year. He just keeps winning it. And, and, you know, to Kevin's point, I know he called him Sidney Crosby light. He's one of the few players in the league that consistently you know, relatively, shuts down Crosby. Like, that's, that's, Pittsburgh almost never beats Boston. I know they've just beat them less than 24 hours ago, but typically they have a hard time with Boston, and a lot of it's because of what Bergeron does to either Crosby or Malkin. So this makes the Atlantic Division playoffs very interesting, doesn't it? At least when you look at the top three seats now. I I, I can see any one of those teams going all the way. 
the, the Eastern Conference is going to be interesting this year. Yeah, I know we spent a lot of time talking about Vegas and, mm-hmm. and what can happen. Well, Vegas is going to the Cup final. We all know that. No, we don't. We don't all know that. No, two two you, of the three of us understand. You now. two are on an island. You're a little slow on the pickup, yeah. so I'm willing to get there. I'm willing to take that bet. I'm willing to take that bet. Treasure Island. Yes, whatever. Treasure Island. That's fine. <laughs> I, again, I look at it, and I, I still have a hard time believing either of these two teams can beat Tampa, but if they do. I like them more than a lot of the teams in the Metro. Yeah, the, the East is going to be a lot of fun this year. It's going to be like the uh, the NFC playoffs in, in football. And then the West, I don't know what to make of it right now. It's not quite an AFC, though. No, it's not quite that bad. All right, that's going to do it for us. For uh, Jamie Eisner and Craig Morgan, I'm Luke Lipinski. Thanks for listening to Episode 131 of the Natural Hattrick Podcast. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW group. Void prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.